Hi, and welcome to The State of Shakespeare. I'm Jim Elliott. And I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And today on the show, we have Xavier Pacheco. Yes, how you guys doing? Hey, how are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for joining us today, Xavier. Of course, thank you guys. Xavier was born and raised in Corona, Queens. He took up acting at the age of five and started to pursue a career at the art at about the age of 11. In high school, he started in four Shakespeare productions through the Epic Cedar Ensemble and one through Public Works. In 2013, he won the English-Speaking Union National Shakespeare Competition and was the first New Yorker to do so in the competition's 33-year history. In the fall, he will start his freshman year at Muhlenberg College with a major in theater and has plans to obtain a master's in acting in graduate school. Hey, Xavier, congratulations on all your accomplishments. Thank you, man. Thank you. That is an amazing accomplishment with the English-speaking union. I attribute that a lot to Epic because before I came into high school, I had actually never done any Shakespeare. And the only experience I had up until that point was with Epic and Melissa directing me. So a lot of the techniques and tactics that I used, I attribute to Melissa and Epic. How did you get involved in Epic as a high school student? Well, when I first came to, to the high school as a freshman, for a couple months, I saw that there was like pretty much no acting opportunities. There was none outside of class itself and so when epic had their presentation to, to help the students learn about what epic was i pretty much just jumped at the chance because it was in after school theater club i didn't know what it was but it was acting and so i, I was just waiting for something like that to pop up and i remember melissa i think it was melissa and jim that did a scene in the auditorium and i was like i'm joining this <laughs> i have to and ever since then i've pretty much done every program that melissa has asked of me and i never looked back you're talking about melissa friedman the co-founder and artistic director of the Epic Theater Ensemble. Yes. Now, on our website, there'll be a link to the video of your performance at the English-Speaking Union Finals. And during that performance, you had a really good rapport with the audience. You seemed really comfortable up there. You were performing Benedict's monologue from Much Ado About Nothing. Does the confidence that came through come easily for you? Or was that something you had to discover or work at? How did you gain that confidence? I think I've always had that confidence on stage because that's where I feel that I belong. That's where I'm most comfortable because that's what I feel I should be doing. When I'm up there, I'm just 100% sure that I'm on the right path. And the more I perform, the more I'm even sure of that. It sounds to me like you sought out this opportunity and then Epic coming to your high school and making the presentation was something that you had been waiting for. So describe to me the, the moment when you first decided that this was going to be your life's path. So when I was about eight years old, I had done some elementary school plays, short half an hour ones where I'd have four or five lines, but I had never looked at acting as a career choice for me. But my oldest brother, Ariel, I had seen him perform. He, but at this point, he was, at, he was acting in community college and he was doing a few plays there. And I went to see him perform. And I remember watching him and just being completely inspired by him performing. That's what motivated me to do that because I was so moved by that performance and so changed by that performance. I wanted to affect people in that way, the way he had affected me. And after that is when I started to take it a little more seriously. And in high school, you discovered Shakespeare through the Epic Theater Ensemble. What yes. Was it, what was it like to discover Shakespeare? Well, I had all the stereotypical ideas of Shakespeare before Epic. I thought that it was boring. I thought all the plays were too long. I wouldn't understand what he was saying. All the stuff that no one who's ever seen at least one Shakespeare play would think. And so 
I came in kind of with like my own ideas. I was trying really hard to not let them interfere with me trying to really learn what the experience is like to actually do a Shakespeare play. And I was convinced pretty quickly after a couple of weeks, I started to realize the meaning of his plays. And I don't think it took very long for Shakespeare to show me how great he was. <laughs> it didn't take very long. If there were other theater companies or other theater opportunities with the ideas I had about Shakespeare, I probably would have joined one more modern. But now that I know how great Shakespeare is, he's one of my favorite playwrights. What is it about Shakespeare that really draws you? The power of his words and the meanings behind them. People write essays and essays about single monologues of his. They're just so deep. They have so many layers to them. And as an actor, that's a gift. You never stop working. You're never done because he's just giving you so much work and at the same time, so much to work with. And I also think what he writes about is always going to be relevant. He writes about people and themes that people will always go through for the rest of time. You know, he writes about forbidden love and he writes about how people deal with death. He writes about so many themes that people will always be thinking about and that will always affect people. But Xavier, you went on to take on some starring roles with Epic Theater Ensemble. What was your first role with them? My first role was Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing. That's where my monologue came from. I was already comfortable with that. And that was actually my favorite role that I ever played, uh, my favorite play. Well, it's interesting you were talking about how Shakespeare's themes resonate to everybody in the world, not just actors. And you just graduated from high school as the valedictorian. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Now, did Shakespeare have anything to do with helping in other areas of your studies? Yes. It helped me become better at analyzing, uh, analyzing situations and analyzing how people even interact with each other, how people are affected by different ideas, because it, the way he writes is is not just for show. It actually has relevant meanings and important meanings. And if you if you look into those things, they're still very relevant and they can still impact the way you think. And I think the more you start to look into Shakespeare, you start to realize his ideas about what people should be like and, and how society is. And I think that has helped me become more analytical in terms of in terms of society because I remember we would have these talks in English class for different themes in society. And freshman year, I wasn't, I would, I would be okay speaking, but I wouldn't be as comfortable or as confident in what I was saying because I didn't feel like I knew enough about uh, sociology or, or, or anything of that matter to, to really to know what I was talking about. And even though I started to research more, I think Shakespeare motivated me to do that because he's a writer from over 400 years ago and you read the stuff and you're like, I, I'm pretty sure he could have written this like 10 years ago because it's crazy because you can see stuff like teen pregnancy. That was he wrote a play about teen pregnancy in Measure for Measure. I mean, you see that happening every day now. No. And that's that's so you see that and it's just like it's crazy to think that people are going through the same things. It makes you want to look things up and research things. I would like to ask you a little bit about the English speaking Union National Shakespeare competition, which you won <laughs> in twenty thirteen. How yes. did that all come about? That came about through Epic. It was the first year that Urban Assembly School was doing that program. And we had never done it before that. And it was after the deadline. And Melissa, I forgot who she had come in contact with, but it was slightly after the deadline. And she had asked them to extend it. This is her words, not mad. She told me that she asked them to extend it because she had somebody who was going to win. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she told me. That's what she told me after the competition. I think if she had told me that before, it would have got in my head a little bit. But she told me that after, after everything had blown over it. 
And so after that, by then I was completely in love with Shakespeare and I jumped at the chance. And through the whole process, from beginning to end, through all five rounds, I would work with Melissa. Melissa would give me notes. We would rehearse it, whatever chance we got. She was rehearsing her own play and I would come in and maybe do a little half hour session on, on the monologue in a different studio or whatever we could do. She was always helping me through that time. And my piece became so much more powerful because of that because I had somebody guiding me the whole way and she would come see them. And she was actually a judge for, I think, I think the second round, which was kind of like New York City semifinals. She was a judge, but there was three days and she asked not to judge on my day because that would be obviously very biased. So she knew what she was talking about and she knew what the judges were looking at specifically. And I think because of that, she gave me the upper edge. Sounds like she was a huge influence in your life. Oh yeah, I reference her in my in my speech at graduation, and I reference her in my personal statement for college. I definitely would not be as comfortable with acting or as experienced if it wasn't for her. That's terrific. During the course of the competition and the English speaking union competition, you must have seen a lot of other people perform Shakespeare. Yes, yes, so many, so many. In the final New York City rounds, I remember I went in the middle and I watched like five performances and I was feeling a little doubt in my own performance because they were just really good. So I couldn't imagine having to watch those things and then perform afterwards. And then in the nationals, there's 58 performers and I went somewhere in the middle. I went 30, 35 around there somewhere. I watched like 30 performers <laughs> go on stage. And when I saw that, that that's what would happen, I just had to tell myself to stay confident in my own piece because there was no way I was going to make it through that if I was going to let 30 great performances of Shakespeare uh, affect me in any way. So I had to just fight through that and stay confident in my own piece. So let me ask you, now that you've had this experience and you've seen so many other competitors perform, I'm sure that someday you'll be in the same situation that Melissa was in, coaching some young actor. What advice were you given that you feel gave you the edge on the competition? I think there's two most important things. One is what I said about staying confident in your piece, because if you're shaken up about whatever's going on, because it's a competition, it is, but you can't face the other competitors. You have to just go up there and do what you do on your own. And so the only thing you can do to really make sure that you have the upper edge in that case is stay confident in your own piece. You put in a lot of work and you can't let it go to waste because you saw somebody else's performing differently, or you saw somebody else who you thought was really amazing and you wouldn't be able to compete with them. You're there for a reason and somebody chose somebody asked you to be there you auditioned you made it there you deserve to be there just as much as anybody else so you can't put yourself under anybody and you have to make sure that you're comfortable being there secondly i think the most important thing i felt the judges were looking at were the use of his words because in the judging rubric you can't use props you can't change your costume you can't sit on the end of the stage there's no lighting changes it's just you on the stage and your words and your physicality and your acting and so I think you have to make sure you embody his words, whether that's through your physicality or through how you say it, because what they're looking at is how you use his words, understand them, and then translate the meaning to the audience. And if you can do that effectively and they can see that, then you'll get a lot of points with the judges. Xavier, one last question about the English speaking union competition. You're asked to perform a, a cold reading during the course of the competition, and you did yours really quite well. What is the first thing you do when approaching a Shakespeare text for the first time? Panic. <laughs> no, it is a big challenge. It's very different than a modern piece. In that case, they had given me a background description. Obviously, that's very important because without that, you'd have to pretty much find out what's going on from the speech itself. And if you're first looking at a monologue and you only have 10 minutes with it, that'd be very difficult to do. 
And so they give you the background description. And so I read that thoroughly. I make sure I understand as much as I can from that. And then I start to look at the way the character speaks. Do they speak in long sentences? Are they short sentences? If it's iambic pentameter, do they break the rules a lot of iambic pentameter? Do they follow it exactly? Because the way they speak informs the way they act. Because if you see someone who speaks in very long sentences and maybe throughout a whole speech there's only three periods, then you know that their thoughts run long and maybe they're a very thoughtful character. And then maybe if you had a character who spoke in very short sentences and broke the rules of iambic pentameter a lot, that's a whole different character in itself. And so I think that's what would inform the character for me. And then I'd have to break down the meanings of what they're saying and I'd make sure I could define as much as I could in that time because you can't take out your phone and go on a Shakespeare app <laughs> as much as I would have loved to. I had it ready just in case, but you couldn't do that. So I would make sure, because obviously you have the people with you on the stage, so you can give yourself little notes and give yourself little tips for when you're up there. And so words that I half understood, I would kind of just give a straight meaning to, give a confident meaning to, so I could perform it that way. And if it was wrong, I was wrong and strong. And then finally, I'd look at stuff like I am a pentameter, where the, where the beats went off. If it is somebody who breaks the rules, where did they change? Where did the line stop? if they stop early and I think that's the most important thing because you want to build a character because that's going to make you stand out out of the people who just stand there and deliver a speech and even though they might do it well the person who came and delivered the speech and then the person who came and delivered a speech an actual character is going to make you stand out that's a terrific answer thank you well we're going to put you on the spot All right, (laughs) you have chosen to share today that Hamlet's first speech yes are you ready to go yes I am ready to go this is Xavier Pacheco performing Hamlet from Hamlet. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God. God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie on it. Fie. Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should come to this... But two months dead. Nay, not so much. Not two. So excellent a king. So loving to my mother. Heaven and earth. Must I remember? Why, she would hang on him. As if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on. And yet within a month, let me not think on it. Frailty, thy name is woman. A little month. Or ere those shoes were old with which she followed my poor father's body. Like Niobe, all tears. Why she, even she, God, a beast. That once discourse of reason would have mourned longer. Married with my uncle, my father's brother. But no more like my father than I to Hercules. Within a month, ere yet the salt of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her gallant eyes, she married. Oh, most wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. It is not, nor it cannot come to good. But break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. Thank you, Xavier. That was great. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Xavier, one of the things I noticed about that speech is that your pacing is really, really tight. And you've got some great forward momentum, some drive to it. Yeah. And the speech seems to be about a young man who very much understands that a terrible injustice has been committed. And and yet somehow he must swallow all the frustration and the anger that is boiling inside him and come to terms with these feelings without any help from the people who are closest to him. How do you relate to this person? I think everyone has felt helpless at one point. You know, I think everyone's had those feelings that Hamlet is feeling. And I think we've had those 
feeling of being alone and being alone in our own thoughts and our own frustrations. And I think if you can find a time when you felt that way, if you can access that, you can pretty much play Hamlet for a few scenes. I mean, that's him for a stretch of like two months. You're performing with such great mastery because so many young people, and especially those who are just brand new to Shakespeare, slip into a Shakespeare type speak that's sort of autopilot. A substitute for playing the intention. They yeah. sort of play what they think might be the style, but there's absolutely no evidence of that in your performance. You're very much on top of the thought, and every thought is specific and grounded and intentional. Very well done. Yeah, I think Shakespeare was meant to be played real. His words are just perfect for engaging your thought and thinking on top of the words he gives you words like oh god god he repeats words because people do that in frustration so he writes as a person speaks and it, it differs for each character because every character speaks differently but these are real people on the page and i think the way to perform them is the way you perform a real person to find a way in you have to access real emotions and the way you really think and if you really felt like that at one point to access that time because these are real things going on that people are going through absolutely I think you edited the speech ever so slightly. Yes, yes. And you edited it at a part of the speech that we had earmarked to talk about, right around line 321, that starts with that it should come to this, but two months dead. And between 321 and 334, that speech is packed with images and archaic language and all sorts of tricky scansion. How do you navigate that? What do you think of those images and why did you cut them? Well, Melissa had given me the cut script. Oh, gotcha. And I decided to leave it because I think it flows very well because up until that point and a little bit after that, he kind of switches thoughts very fast because he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't follow any one thought. And I think cutting that part out had given me another spot to kind of shift thoughts very quickly. And it fueled that last part of the speech. Because when he says, so excellent a king that was to this Hyperion, to a satyr so loving to my mother, that he might not team the winds of heaven, visit her face too roughly. That's kind of one full thought in there. It's some great language. But that moment, so excellent a king, heaven and earth, must I remember? It's giving him that shift that allows me to build up until that last point. It was kind of just for me as the actor to give me a point to start in which I can start to build his emotions and start to build his real frustrations for the end. Yeah, and certainly... Your performance gained drive as the speech progressed. It was terrific in that way. The speech itself lacks a decisive moment. Hamlet, the play Hamlet and the character Hamlet lacks a decisive moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Garrett, that's what you said. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, he's going back and forth and he has to convince himself a million times. And by the time he convinces himself, he didn't really convince himself. And then he's at the point where he's going to do it and he's going to do it, but he doesn't do it. And it's just like he's that's where he's always at. And he has to be pushed way over the edge. And I think Ophelia's death is what did it. I think if you lost your father and shortly afterwards to lose the love of your life, I think that would push you over the insanity edge. And I think that's the only reason he did it, because after that happened, I felt like he loses part of his conscience. Because what's happening every time he stops himself, that's his conscience stopping him from killing somebody, which is hopefully natural for people to do. (laughs) I think after that happens, he loses it. He doesn't have that part of his mind anymore to stop him. And he's just over the edge. And that's why when we did the production, it was Hamlet and Ophelia, because Ophelia plays such an integral part in that play. And most people don't realize that. Great answer. There are a lot of midline stops in the speech. And you referenced earlier that his brain is shifting and jumping from place to place. 
Do you use those midline stops to help you with that? Yes, I think that's what they're meant for, and I think that's what their purpose is. I think he's stopping in the middle of a thought because he gains a new one and he goes in a different direction. Or a thought stops completely because he's too frustrated to continue with it. And I think depending on the context and where it is, I think they should be addressed because they stand out. That's the spots that you should hit that should have greater impact, especially with someone as thoughtful as Hamlet. There you go. Thank you, Xavier. Xavier, it's been delightful having you on the program. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you, man. Thanks, Xavier. And thank best you. of luck to you next year as, well, this fall, as a freshman at Muhlenberg College as a theater yes. major. Yes, I'm very excited. Thank you, man. I'm so excited for that. We look forward to hearing a lot more from you in the future. I'm Garrett Vandermeer. And I'm Jim Elliott. And thank you for listening to The State of Shakespeare. Thanks for joining us for the State of Shakespeare podcast. We invite you to visit stateofshakespeare.com for more episodes, information about each of our guests, and the Shakespeare text you heard on the program, and much more. And we welcome you to join the discussion by liking us on Facebook. That's www.stateofshakespeare.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.